Father, I pray that you'll help us to sense your presence. For the invitation to be here in your presence, we just give you thanks. And now we pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Jesus, your precious Son, we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you very much. Valentine's Day, make sure you, if this thing gets too boring, move around, find a couple of those packages that no one's eaten yet, and just go ahead and start munching. Okay? Pretty cool. What a difference a year makes, right? Think about it. One year ago, February 2020, Kansas City Chiefs defeated San Francisco 49ers 31-20 to 20 to win the Super Bowl, and, San Fran- and Kansas City was the Super Bowl champ, right? One year ago, February, Donald Trump was acquitted in his first impeachment trial. One year ago, the primaries were ramping up. 27 Democrats, three Republicans were running for president. One year ago, in February, COVID started dominating the news. First known American death from COVID was about a week ago, a year ago, February the 6th. And one year ago today, Valentine's Day, they reported 64,000 cases of COVID worldwide and 15 in the United States. What a difference a year makes. (laughs) Tom Brady pretty much crushed Kansas City, and Kansas City is no longer the Super Bowl champ, right? He got ring number six. That's just incredible. Ex-President Trump now was acquitted on his second impeachment trial one year ago compared to one year ago. COVID-19 changed the world. I mean, think about it. One year ago, how many of you guys owned one of these, right? And now how many do you have? One year ago, how many of you guys had ever used the phrase social distancing or flatten the curve or herd immunity or shelter in place? I think that some of you guys have probably washed your hands and checked your temperature more in the last year than you had for the whole rest of your life combined right? Zoom, Facebook Live, watch parties, online shopping, telemedicine, curbside pickup. Some of the differences are troubling, I hope. The rate of addiction, depression, loneliness, and stress have skyrocketed over the last year. Levels of fear and anger have skyrocketed spilled out into escalation of political polarization and racial tensions. Our kids have withered with the isolation and the failed attempt to continue their education online. Some have shifted to an online workplace. Others have been laid off. Others have been forced to close their businesses over the last year. Some fear that the character of our people and the character of our nation has been compromised by what seems like a steady stream of attacks on our fundamental freedoms. And some fear that the soul of our churches and the soul of our faith has been compromised too. Hmm. What a difference a year makes. Some things change so fast, so incredibly fast. Who could have predicted the sweeping changes that have taken place in the last year. Other things, they don't change much at all. Some ways, you're no different than you were a year ago. I'm no different than I was a year ago or 10 years ago. 
as a people, we're not that different from what we were like 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago when this story takes place that we're going to study that could have happened yesterday. What Jesus tells this guy, he could have told either one of us yesterday. Here it is. Apparently, this is a good guy. This is the kind of guy that most people would respect. He has both moral riches, moral wealth, and financial wealth. He's got them both. In fact, Jesus is about to rattle off several of the Ten Commandments, and this is gonna, guy's going to be like, I'm, I'm all, I do all that. Good. Doesn't cheat, doesn't lie, doesn't steal. Faithful husband, honors his parents. He's a good guy. And he's rich. He's got money, position, power, respect. And back then... They thought they were connected. They did. They figured if you had money, you were probably blessed by God because you were morally good, right? If you didn't have money, God was probably down on you for some reason. If life wasn't going well, what had you done wrong? And we're still kind of like that. We still think if, if you do good, you should do well. And if a person doesn't do good, he shouldn't do well. That's the way we think. I can't see much with the light, but that's okay. Leave it there. I just want to see. How many of you guys raise your hand have sound, seen the sound of music? I want to see who the really old people are. Okay? You're old. Maria, played by Julie Andrews, is about to marry Captain Von Tripp, right? Played by Christopher Plummer, who died just about a week ago. He's rich. She is not. But she sings this song, right? Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. I mean, after all, I'm marrying this fabulously rich and fabulously good guy. I must have been doing good. Which is the exact opposite of the song that was sung by Job's friends. Nothing comes from nothing, Job. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in your youth or childhood, you must have done something really, really, really bad to be getting the kind of junk that you're getting, Job. God wouldn't let all these disasters happen to you if you're good. See, we kind of make this assumption. If you do good, God owes you, right? If you do good and life is hard and God's messing up. So this good guy who thinks this way comes to Jesus. He's morally wealthy, financially wealthy, and yet he's still smart enough to recognize that there's something missing. I don't know if you know people like that. I don't know if you've been like that. I mean, life seems okay for this guy, and yet there's still an emptiness inside. There's a gnawing inside of him. There's a hole in his heart. You know, he's, he's so together that he actually can admit that he doesn't have it all together. On the outside, life looks good. On the inside, there's an emptiness, a gnawing. You ever felt that? What Jesus tells him is outrageous. Blows his mind. In fact, what Jesus tells him is almost like heresy. I'll show you. Jesus is going to give this guy a prescription that he gave to absolutely nobody else that we know of. And yet, in another way, what he tells this guy applies to every single one of us. I'll show you. Luke 18. 18. Jewish leader asked Jesus, good teacher, good teacher, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? Now, we have no clue what kind of a leader this guy was. It's just a pretty generic word. Could be a leader in his church, leader in his community. It doesn't matter. He had position, he had power, he had money, and there's a hole in his life. And he's hoping that maybe Jesus can help fix that. Good teacher. 
That's what he says, which is kind of a weird way to address a rabbi back then because a lot of the rabbis would tell you that there's no one who is good except God. Even the other rabbis would say something like that. So good teacher, a little weird. What must I do? What must I do to get eternal life? In fact, if you look over at Matthew's version of the story, he literally says, what good thing do I have to do? What good thing do I have to do to merit eternal life? And his question kind of reveals his view of God, life with God, doesn't it? Life with God is about something you do. It's about something I do. And if that's your view of God, then it ought to leave you where it left this guy. Have I done enough? Am I good enough? How can I be sure? How can a man ever be sure that he's good enough to get the eternal life that he hopes at the end of this life, right? Have I earned it, really? Well, Jesus starts messing with the guy, and I think he messes with him for a reason, but he says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? And he answered like there are many of the rabbis would, there's no one good except God. Are you thinking maybe that I'm that good to earn my way to heaven? Is that what you're thinking? Or maybe you've guessed think maybe that I'm more than a man, you've come to me? Or maybe something like this, listen dude, you're wanting to know what good thing, what good thing do I have to do to earn heaven? Don't you realize that there is no one good enough, there is no one who is really good except God? Do you actually think that you could do something good enough that God owes you? Do you? Do you think it's about being good enough? Well, you know the commandments, Jesus said. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, respect your parents. And this guy's like, I know, I've done them all. It's who I am. And it kind of makes you wonder what Jesus is doing with the guy. Maybe Jesus listens to this, yeah, I've done them all. And Jesus is kind of like, really? You actually think you've done them all? You're kind of clueless guy. Or maybe Jesus is gentler than that. Maybe Jesus says, I know in your eyes, I know in your eyes that you followed all of these things. You, 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 you're a good man. You think you're a good man. You're this close because you still sense that there's something missing, right? Or maybe Jesus is saying something like this. Are you sure you've obeyed all of them? You see, I've left a couple out. You know which one I left out to start with? Commandment number one. You will have no other gods before me. You're going to worship nothing in your life except me. And there's something in your life that's more important than God, isn't there? Something in your life is sitting in God's place. Jesus says, okay, one more thing that you need to do, actually two. He says, I want you to sell all that you've got, give the money to the poor, all of it. And then you're going to have treasure in heaven. And here's thing two, I want you to follow me. Now Mark adds a little detail that you don't see in Luke's account that we're following. Mark says, Jesus looked at this guy and he loved him. He loved him. Jesus is not mean or oppressive to this guy. He sees this guy and he loves him. He loves him so much that this is what he tells him. You've got to do one more thing. You've got to sell it all. And then you've got to follow me. Those are words of love. 
He's not trying to make this guy's life worse. He's trying to make his life better. Do you believe that? But what Jesus tells this guy is outrageous. In fact, in that world, it's almost heretical. According to the rabbis, according to the Jewish law, man, good man, shouldn't give away more than 20% of his stuff. And Jesus says, give it all away. It's a really high bar. Zacchaeus, a rich man who comes to Jesus, Zacchaeus gives four times as much as he had defrauded anyone, and that's considered outrageous. This is over the top. We have no record anywhere in our Jesus stories about Jesus telling any other person, if you want to follow me, give it all away. Sell it all. We have no record in the early church of any of the early churches saying, if you're going to become one of us, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, you've got to sell everything to be one of us. That was not a marker of being a Jesus follower in the early world. So what's Jesus doing? What's he wanting this guy to hear? For one thing, a lot of people missed the last line. Jesus says there's one more thing you need to do. Sell all you have, give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. We'll talk about what that is. Then come and follow me. Then come and follow me. See, think that Jesus has actually given this guy a way to earn heaven. If you do this thing, you've done enough. If you do this thing, you've earned it. If you do this thing, God owes you. See, back then, just like people today, we think that if you can finally be good enough, that's going to be good enough, right? If you're good enough, that's enough. And how many people try to be good enough without ever following Jesus? You know those people. They're in your life. But I'm a good person, right? What's it Jesus following Jesus have to do with it? Luke says, when the man heard this stuff, he became sad. Why? Because he's very rich. If you look at Matthew and Mark's version of the story, they tell you that the guy went away sad. He doesn't just get sad, he goes away sad. He doesn't change his mind because he couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. You know why? Because there's something in his life more important than God. That's it. Because there's something in his life that was more important than God. There were things that he refused to get up, even for treasure in heaven. What is there in your life that you would not give up, even for treasure in heaven? It's not worth it to you. Because if you can find that thing, that is your God, is it not? What is it that is more important to you than God? And this guy goes away sad. In fact, Matthew's word is a heightened word for sad. You could almost translate it, he went away grieving. It's almost like someone that he had loved so much had died. Because he'd spent his whole life grinding it out, taking this hard path. And he was almost there, he felt. There's just this one more piece that was eluding him. There was this emptiness that no matter what he did, his money couldn't fill it. He was morally good, he was religiously good, he was professionally good, he's rich, he's blessed even, and he could still feel like there's something he's missing. And Jesus is like, you know why? Because you're on the wrong road. You're on the wrong path, dude. You think it's about being good enough. There's only one who is good enough, and it's none of us. So he says you need to tear it down and start over again. 
And Jesus is looking at this guy and says, I'm not telling you this to be mean. I'm trying to love on you. I want you to have treasure in heaven. I want you to have treasure in heaven. But first, you must understand what that treasure is. Do you know what treasure of heaven is? God goes away grieving. I don't know if he ever got it. Or if he did get it, if he ever had the guts and the wisdom to do it Jesus' way. There's no evidence that I am aware of that this guy ever changed his mind. Which means he went through the rest of his life with a hole in his heart that stuff could never fill, right? And I don't know what he did. You know, we tend to do things in order to fill that hole. I mean, maybe he just kept ignoring it so long that it stopped gnawing at him. We can harden our hearts so we don't feel that tug anymore. Or maybe he just kept himself busy. Sometimes we don't want to think about these things, so we just keep ourselves busy so that the gnawing doesn't dominate our thoughts. Maybe so. Maybe he tried to fill that hole with something else that didn't work. Because I'm telling you guys that there is nothing else that will fill a God-sized hole in your heart. Nothing else can. And God put it there. Preacher up in New York, his name is Tim Keller. He's one of the smartest, most decent Christian teachers that I'm aware of. This guy is just flat out good. Battling pancreatic cancer right now, I hate that. When Tim Keller speaks, a lot of us pastors listen. Keller says there are four reasons this young guy went away grieving, and I think we need to hear him. Reason number one. This guy had come face to face with the real Jesus, and I'm telling you guys, the real Jesus will always rattle you. The real Jesus will always rattle you. Do you know why? Because you're not done yet as a Jesus follower, and I'm not done yet as a Jesus follower. Jesus still has work to do with us, right? And if you keep following Jesus, you're going to discover that he demands more than you ever thought but you'll also discover that the payoff is incredible. It's so worth it. Jesus wants you to grow, which means he's going to nudge on you and he's going to carve stuff out of you and he's going to whittle stuff away and he's going to sharpen and he's going to mold. Listen, guys, Jesus loves you exactly the way you are. And Jesus loves you way too much to let you stay the way you are. He wants to grow you to what he made you to be. You were made to be an amazing creature of God. Don't settle. See, Jesus is always pushing us. He's always pushing us to grow. If you're going to grow, you've got to keep pushing us. Keep following Jesus. You're going to see his demands more clearly. But you'll also begin to understand the why. And you'll begin to understand that it's so worth it. Here it is, guys. When Jesus challenges you, when he offends you, you've got two options. You can either bend your knee or you can go away grieving. Those are the options. Because the real Jesus is going to rattle you. Here's reason two. reason this guy went away grieving is because Jesus wrecked, he smashed, he demolished this guy's understanding of how religion works, Right? I mean, the guy knows he's missing something. That's why he's coming to Jesus in the first place. There's something more, Jesus. There's got to be something more. I feel like I've led this good life. I feel like I've been blessed by God, but there's still this hole inside of me. There's still this gnawing inside of me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Am I really good with God? 
Do I really have treasure in heaven? I'm missing something, Jesus. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And that's the question that so many of us ask, right? What more can I do? What is that thing that I have to do to be sure? Have I done enough? And listen, guys, as long as it's about what you do, you will never be sure you have done enough. You can never be sure. Because doing life with God is not about what you do. It's about accepting what he has done for you. That's the heart of this thing. You will never be good enough. You will never be more enough, moral enough. You will never do enough good that God owes you anything. It's not the way it works. You see, our problem is not that we're not good enough. Our problem is that we refuse to admit that we're not good enough. And accept that. We'll never be good enough. It's not about our being good enough. It's about our understanding and admitting that we need a Savior. We need what he has done for us. And receiving that. See, every other religion in the world, in fact, every other philosophy of man, all common sense, we think, divides people into two groups. We all do this, right? We think people are good or bad. We think people are moral or immoral. We're going to fight over who's good and who's bad, but we still have the same two groups. There are good people and there are bad people. There's moral people, there are, there are immoral people. There's, you know, nasty people and nice people. There's religious people. Some of us draw it that way, religious people and irreligious people. And we fight over the lines, where the lines fall. But we still have those basic two groups. And Jesus says, no, nah, that's not the way to look at it. There's actually two different ways to get to God that we try. One is to try to do it yourself, and the other one's to let him do it for you. Those are the two ways, because you can never be good enough to get through it that way. You can either try to do enough good, or you could admit that you need God's help. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, it's about accepting and receiving what Jesus has done for you because you'll never be good enough on your own. Try it your way, or Jesus says, follow me, right? Because no matter how good you are compared to the dorks around you, you're still a sinner. You're never going to be able to make yourself into the person that you want to be much less the kind of person God wants you to be. And if you are ruthlessly honest with yourself, you're going to agree with Paul. Paul says, no one's righteous, really. Not even one. Are you the exception? No one's truly wise. All of us have turned away from God over and over and over again. Well, no one does good, not a single one. Is that harsh? He concludes with this line. He says, all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of God's glorious standards. Well, no kidding. You may be better than most, but that just means you're a little bit less misshapen than the person next to you. But it's not about what you can do. It's about what he has done and then following him. Right? That's reason two. The guy went away grieving because Jesus smashed, demolished, wrecked his assumption about how religion works. Here's reason number three. Reason number three is that the real Jesus looks straight through you. He doesn't really listen to your words. He listens to your heart. You can't fool him. 
He knows what's holding you back. Jesus looks into your heart, and if he sees some God or he sees something that threatens to be your God, he goes after it. Never going to fool him. He knows where the real God ranks in your life, what position he takes in your life. And if there's anything taking his place, he's going to try to root it out. You know why? Because no pseudo-God can ultimately satisfy you. No pseudo-God can be that treasure that you're hungering for. What Jesus tells this guy to do is outrageous. Hmm. Nothing wrong with money unless it starts taking God's place in your life. He might look at you, and it's not about your money. He might look at you and see something entirely different that is threatening to push God aside in your life. He might see an addiction. You know, you can be addicted to stuff that is good as well as addicted to stuff that is bad. If it becomes an addiction, sometimes it pushes God aside. It becomes more important to you than God. And if Jesus sees that, he's going to go after it. Because bottom line, the first commandment in the Old Testament was this. You will have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. Jesus put it like this. You're going to love the Lord your God, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, right? He's got to be number one. And the truth is, inside most every single one of us, there's this power struggle between God and our dreams. If I could just have this one thing, my life would be complete. If I could just do this one thing, my life would be great. And I'm telling you guys, if that one thing that would make your life complete is not Jesus, it won't. And it is your God. Right? Jesus is telling this guy, I want you to take the thing that is most important in your life, the thing that you think is the foundation for your happiness, the thing that you think you need to make your life complete without God, and be willing to give it to me. One more reason this went away, guy went away grieving. One more thing we need to hear. This is so big. This is so important. He didn't understand what the treasure of heaven is. Do you? Do you know what the treasure of heaven means? I mean, he still lacked that one thing because he doesn't get what the treasure of heaven is. I mean, a lot of people think heaven is all about this great mansion in the sky that Jesus has gone to prepare for us, right? We can't imagine the lavishness of the place, being able to walk on streets of gold and all that kind of stuff. And other people are like, nah, that's not the real treasure of heaven. The real treasure of heaven is people. I finally get to go see my mom again. I miss her, right? People we care about who have died. Can you imagine the reunion? And you're thinking about that reunion, and you think that's heaven, right? You know why you think that? Because you're clueless. Heaven isn't about stuff. The treasure of heaven is not people. Treasure of heaven is God. It's doing life with God, and the sad thing is, is that we don't even see that sometimes as the treasure. That's how far gone we are. How badly this place has messed us up. We were built to do life with God, for God. Treasure of heaven is that intimacy with God that we're going to have. Listen, guys, if you have everything this world has to offer and you don't have Jesus, you have squat. And if you have very little of what this world has to offer and you have Jesus, you're rich.
You're absolutely rich. Or think about it this way. If you had all of your dreams come true in heaven, everything that, that you think is magnificent, and you got all of that, if you could go to heaven and all of your dreams come true except Jesus, would that be enough? Listen, guys. If you don't have Jesus, it'll never be enough. If you do have Jesus, it will always be enough. It's the way it is. It's what we were made for. And here's the deal. Here's what is so daggone cool. When you make him your treasure, God makes you his treasure. And that's neat. That's cool. Got a couple of more things we're going to do to kind of wrap this thing up, but I'm going to hold that till the very end of the service. So when we sing that last song, don't you get up and try to leave yet. I've got about two more real quick things to tell you. But right now we're going to just go into the time of the Lord's Supper, and I want you to think about a couple things. This Lord's Supper that we're going to take is grace and truth. It speaks truth to us. This bread in this cup represents the death of Jesus. You know why he died? Because you're not good enough. And I'm not good enough. And we can't do enough good. And so basically, he took our place so that we could be acceptable to our God. It's a statement of God's truth that we need a Savior. And it's grace. Because this is his saving us. This is his taking our place. It's taking the punishment that we deserve so that we can be children of God. This is a time when we tell God, thank you. And this is a time when we allow him to convict our hearts. Is there something in your life that threatens to push God aside? Is there something in your life that is more important to you than God himself? This is a time to let him challenge that. So take the next couple of minutes and just spend some quiet time with your God as you share the Lord's Supper together.